So, um, in, oh. You can stay there for the whole service if you want. That'll be your punishment if I hear chattering. <laughs> We, uh, if you're visiting us today, we are working our way through the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, from Galatians chapter 5, and we have done already love, joy, and peace. And so today we land on patience. It wasn't planned, honestly. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love is patient. So, the dictionary definition of patience goes something like this. (laughs) Patience or forbearance is the ability to endure difficult circumstances such as perseverance in the face of delay, or losing your car keys the morning you need to be early at church, tolerance of provocation without responding in annoyance or anger, or forbearance when under strain, especially when faced with longer-term difficulties. Now, I am not sure that this is something that very many of us would give ourselves an A star for. Anyone like to put their hand up for an A-star in patience? If we do, it's probably because we haven't yet faced any challenging or frustrating times needed to care for an aging relative or had children. (laughs) Seemed to me that a dedication service and patience fit pretty well together, actually. And uh, as I was thinking about this this week, I came upon this quote, which I share with you. Children do not enter this world with bad intentions. They do not come to wear us out, test our patience, or push us over the edge. They come to us with a need for love, connection, and belonging. But there are days, aren't there? For those of you that don't know me, I have two teenagers. There are days when it does feel like our children have come with bad intentions to wear us out, test our patience, and push us over the edge. There are days, aren't there, like that. Parenting is tiring. It is emotional. They know every button to push. It is at times challenging as well, of course, as rewarding. And of course, that's true also for grandparenting and for taking that role. It is also true in many other of our familial experiences in life. But this morning, we have a dedication. So we're talking about parenting. Certainly, it is one of the times in your life where you find out just how much or how little patience is growing in your life. So what happens when your patient reserves hit the red zone? Anyone ever found themselves looking a little bit like this picture here? Anyone like to own up to this experience? Just have a look around you. Just make you feel better to think that it's not just you. (laughs) A lot of nudging of the person next to you going on in this service. 
Do we just give up? Do we just throw it all in? Shout and scream a bit? I'm sure a few of us have done that from time to time. What do we do? When we hit the red zone, what happens? How do we understand patience? And perhaps how do we understand patience as a fruit of the Spirit more than we do already? You know, we live, don't we, in an instant culture. What we want, we want now or very soon. And more often than not, we can have it now or very soon. We just go onto the internet, we choose our hour slot with Argos, we log on to our Amazon Prime account, whatever it is, and we can more or less have it now. Our shops are more or less open 24-7. You normally can find one that is. And in case you didn't realize, Jet's Gym is open 24-7. So when you woke up at 3 a.m. this morning thinking, I just need to go to the gym, you could have gone. We can have everything we want, and we can have it more or less now. Waiting is not really in the DNA of our Western culture anymore. Statistically, one in four of us will abandon a website if it doesn't load within four seconds. <laughs> now, I kind of thought to myself, that seems a little bit extreme. And then I... Uh, Googled something, it's for you Ian, and I just thought, four seconds feels awfully long when you're waiting for a website to load. And that's how instant our culture has become. And if I don't even have to log into my computer now, because look, I can just do it here, immediately, now. It's got my emails, it's got all the information I need, I can find out what the weather's going to be like next week, I can work out our route to Northumberland on Tuesday. That's a clue, people. Don't contact me after then. You know, I can do everything, have everything now, right now. According to an article called How One Second Could Cost Amazon $1.6 billion in sales, 50% of Americans wouldn't visit an establishment for the second time if they were kept waiting for any length of time. We don't like waiting. We like everything right now. We are hot-wired to impatience, actually. And if we are not, then ever increasingly the generations after us are. Because at least some of us in this room grew up where you actually did have to wait. Like you actually, you know, remember when you, you, you wrote, you know, with pen or on a bit of paper, folded it, put it in the envelope, had to wait till the post office was open if you didn't have a stamp, had to buy the stamp, stick it on the envelope. It's tedious just describing it. Then you had to wait. And then the other person eventually received the letter. They had to then go through that whole process themselves. And then several days later, there was an answer. Do you remember that? I'm thinking that maybe we should go back to that. You know, every generation that comes after us, it is just getting faster and faster and faster. And we are hot-wired to impatience. Part of that, of course, is also that we become programmed to choose the easy way out. 
So we look at all the options and we think, which is the quickest, which is the fastest, which will provide me exactly what I want in the way that I want it as soon as possible. And of course, that cultural DNA starts going into our commitment to organizations that maybe we serve, because actually it's getting a bit hard work. It's just a bit, mm, I don't know. I'll just choose the easy way out. Maybe it's even true in our friendships. Maybe they hit a bit of a rocky patch. You know, friendships do sometimes. And we go, oh, you know what? I haven't got the patience to deal with that. I've got other mate, other friends. Oh, this hobby is getting a bit hard now. Now, I, I'm one of those that li really likes taking up new things. L less recently, but definitely in the past. So I've got all these different things that I can do up to about page 25. Because at page 25, it requires a bit of endurance. It requires a bit of commitment, a bit of patience, a bit of... So I can play the classical guitar up to page 25, but then it started getting really quite hard after that. It's just in our DNA to go, oh, you know, it's just getting a bit hard now. Don't want to do this anymore. And of course, at a deeper level, perhaps that can be true in our marriages and in our families where it's just hard and we don't want to be patient any longer. And everything around us says, take the easy way out. Take the easy way out. You don't need to be patient anymore. Take the easy way out. Everyone else does. But you know what? The call to discipleship is a call to a life of commitment and patience. Our call is to be obedient to Jesus. And he just keeps on going. And we keep on following him. And where he goes, we follow. And that is the call of discipleship. To commit, to push through, to wait, to keep on keeping on. To allow the fruit of patience to grow in our lives. Now what we're talking about here is not some kind of fake patience. It is not some kind of superficial exterior calmness. I don't know if you can see that very well, but it's a giant humongous jellyfish that's underneath the surface. When we know that there's anything but patience lurking underneath. Now sometimes you need to use a strategy which says, stay calm for now. <laughs> I understand that. It is not saying that exploding all over the place all of the time is necessarily the right way forward. But when we're talking about the real fruit of patience, we're not just talking about creating a calm exterior. Whilst underneath, everything is fermenting away. Anger, frustration, resentment, it is all developing underneath the surface, just waiting for that final moment when the tube is off the toothpaste, or whatever your equivalent is. When it's all going to come out like some kind of geezer in Yellowstone Park, because it's all bubbling underneath there. Some kind of pressure cooker experience, where we just wait for that moment, because we know that that can be very damaging. I am sure that many of us in this room have had those moments. At least two people smile at me. All right? you know, where you've just kept it all in, trying to stay calm, trying to appear patient, and then eventually it's just been the final thing. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is much deeper than that, where the patience grows and is expressed on the surface, not as some kind of fake sealant for the surface. 
What does patience mean? Well, one of the words that is often used for patience in the Bible and is used in that passage in James that I read to you is the word hupomeno, which means to remain or remain or abide underneath something that is heavy, hence the picture. It's about bearing up underneath the strains of life. Well, we have stress, don't we? Things are heavy to carry sometimes. There are the pressures that come and leave us feeling overwhelmed or worn down. It has parallels with the word endurance. It's about remaining under even when the weights upon us are heavy, even when we have to endure and to keep going, and it's difficult. But another way of looking at it is to choose to remain under patience. In the same way that you use an umbrella to protect you from the rain, you remain under patience so that it protects you through the trials and pressures and stresses of your life. You choose patience as your protection in the moments when you would normally be angry or frustrated or annoyed. In that moment, you cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You choose to trust God and to wait on him. Because in many of the things that make us impatient and stressed in life, it's because we don't have control. And we choose to trust God that he does hold all control. The other word that's often used for patience in the New Testament and is used in the verse in Galatians that talks about the fruit of the Spirit is the word macrothumia. That's one for you to take home for lunch. Macrothumia. It's actually made out of two words. The first one is the word macros, and it means far away. Macros means far away. The second half is thumos. And thumos means this. Anger, rage, and frustration. It's those two words that are held together in the word for patience. So you could understand it as this. It means to hold your anger far away. To place your frustration at a distance of course anger exists. Of course irritability exists. It's about where we choose to locate it. So do we choose to pick it up, metaphorically, and locate it far away from us? Or do we actually choose to take it in close to us and cultivate it in our hearts? It's fine, you don't have to answer that. See, Macrothumia is choosing to be self-regulating, choosing to be restrained, holding what we feel in such a way that we are not controlled by hasty retaliation. The old-fashioned word for patience <laughs> was the word long-tempered or long-suffering. We don't use that terribly often anymore. But we do use the word, well, they've got a short fuse, which is kind of the opposite of the long-tempered bit, isn't it? So long-tempered is about holding what you feel away from you rather than being someone who's on a short fuse. That's what patience looks like. So we know we need more patience, and we need it right now. And I wonder if your prayers look a little bit like this. 
It never really works, does it? Patience is rarely something that arrives in our lives like a big dollop of cream on an apple pie, sadly. Patience grows. Or it doesn't. But it grows. I think occasionally God knows the situation we find ourselves in and he does give us a big dollop, actually. He says, here, take this. You need a bit of extra. But the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives. One of the best creatures in the sea, to te- or not just in the sea, but in water, to teach us about patience, is the oyster. Because just as the oyster's going around its normal daily tasks of being an oyster, from time to time, a small, minuscule bit of sand or grit gets in under the shell. Under the shell. And in order to protect itself from irritation and the constant irritation of that bit of grit, the oyster quickly starts covering its uninvited visitor with layers of what's called nacre, something like that anyway, a mineral substance also known as mother of pearl, layer after layer covering the grain of sand until a gem is formed. And it's no longer an irritant, but something priceless. I made the mistake this morning of thinking to myself, I wonder how long that takes. I wonder how long it takes the oyster to make a pearl. Well, for freshwater oysters, and you better hope that you're one of those, it takes between one and six years. For saltwater oysters, it takes between five and twenty years. That's a lot of patience, isn't it? That's a lot of growing time. That's a lot of developing. It's a lot of persistence. And patience is like that, isn't it? It takes a lot of time. And the problem is it also takes a lot of grit in order to learn the things that teach us patience and develop that in our lives. And you'll all have heard the old story about the person that says to the young Christian, you don't want to pray for patience because when you pray for patience, God sends a whole shed load of things along to help you to become patient. So warning, you may not wish to pray that prayer at the end of the service. It takes time. And it takes those same experiences repeated. And it takes us actually failing to gradually grow that patience in our lives. In James chapter 5, the passage I read earlier, James alludes to a farming metaphor which he knows that the people he's writing to will understand. And part of the reason that he refers to it is because there was a difference for the people of Israel between their experience in the past of farming under Pharaoh in Egypt and what happened when they reached the promised land in Israel. See, when they were in Egypt, farming was relatively straightforward because Egypt was farmed by irrigation rather than directly by rain. It was farmed by the water flowing from the Nile. The Nile was considered to be a god by the Egyptians, the provider of life. 
And because of the Nile, people could grow crops, access constant water. So what happened was the farmer dug his ditch and he kept a bit of soil between the, the, the ditch he dug and the flowing water. And then when he was ready, he kicked in the soil and then the water flowed into the irrigation channel. It opened up the access indirectly or directly to the Nile and the farmer had water for his crops. It had become too easy to see farming as like turning on a tap. No need for patience. Farming could be done with little faith in God. But as the people moved east and settled in their new lands, God wanted to teach them something different about farming and about patience. So they found themselves in the new land, a land that was watered not by irrigation, but by rain. And they had to trust God because they were no longer in control. They couldn't just build another ditch, dig another ditch. The water would come in. It just didn't work like that. So they had to prepare and plant before the rain. And then they had to do that thing which we all love so much, wait. They just had to wait. And the rainy season had two rains, the autumn rains and the spring rains. And they waited, and in the early rains came, they caused the seed to wake up and grow. But then they just had to wait some more. And eventually, if they waited patiently enough and they trusted God, the second rain would come, and it would cause the crop to mature. You see, Egypt had made them impatient, and Israel was about learning to trust in God again. And perhaps living in our culture now has made us impatient. Not good at waiting, not good at pursuing, persevering through things to the other side, wanting everything on tap, rapid response, whatever that might be in our lives. And we are called to develop patience, to press in to patience. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In Galatians, it talks about laying aside the negative things, the anger, the frustration, the dissension, all that kind of stuff. Putting it aside. In Colossians, he talks about putting on the new stuff. And it's a mixture, isn't it, about intentional activity, holding frustration away from us, choosing to bear under, clothing ourselves with patience and forgiveness and forbearance, and also allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us and develop that fruit within us. Earlier on this week, on Monday, uh, a pastor, an American pastor called Eugene Peterson, went to be with Jesus forever. If you're not familiar with him, he's written a whole lot of books, but he also wrote the version of the Bible called The Message. Uh, and that was a phenomenal piece of work to do the whole of the Bible. He died on Monday in the early hours of the morning. And he went to be in the presence of the Lord forever. If you haven't read any of his story, then I encourage you to do that. He finished his life on earth with these words, let's go.
Let's go. I was watching a video about him, which I'd seen some years ago. And uh, it started off with him by the lake, or the creek, as he called it. Looked really like a lake to me. Um, talking about an experience that he'd had many years ago, where he'd been there for a break. And at that time, a kingfisher had come just to be at that lake for a period of time. And so he'd gone out in the early morning to watch the kingfisher. And he just sat quietly watching the kingfisher. And he watched it dive. And then he watched it dive again, looking for its breakfast. And he watched it dive again and again. And again. And it took the kingfisher 37 dives before he caught a fish. And Eugene Peterson says, and he's the kingfisher. <laughs> he uses that as his introduction to a book he wrote called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He was a man that knew what it was like to follow Jesus patiently and enduringly, until the day when filled with joy, he was able to say, let's go. His patience works itself out in all sorts of ways. For Tim and Isabella, it's a lot about sleepless nights and learning how to just deal with the everyday of a small person. And those challenges and needs for patience just grow, don't they? <laughs> And looking at some of you who've got children who are as old as I am, you're still nodding, so that's slightly worrying. <laughs> and sometimes it's the patience of our life circumstances, which can be incredibly challenging and tough and demanding. And we feel like we're under that weight of bale of hay that that lady was carrying, except that we can't seem to put it down for a long time. And we need that patience, that endurance, that resilience. There's a mixture of our intent, the Holy Spirit's work, the support of family and friends. It's a whole bunch of things that grow that perseverance. And then there's something about just waiting until that day when Jesus comes again, patiently, for the Lord to do his work in us and through us until that day. So let's press in, wherever that means for you. Let's press in and let's encourage each other to press in and to see that patience grow within us.